Um. Hey, everybody. That's right. Bridges Between Us is back, and I am so pumped for the next few episodes we're releasing. Through the last year, I've been interviewing hundreds of sales leaders and sellers for some of the stuff that we're building, and I've been consistently finding myself thinking about how misrepresented sales can be. It really gets a bad rep. Like many other things these days, we fall into the lazy trap of defining an entire group by the worst representations of a handful of people. But within the sales department of every business are these amazing problem solvers, relationship builders, and workhorses that serve as a bloodline for the business. So in this next string of episodes for the podcast, we'll be talking with sales leaders to explore what the state of sales is today, what sales really is at its best, where it's going, and what it could be. Today, we talk with my friend, Saba Nashand. With over 20 years of rich experience in software sales, Saba's career spans from his early days of transactional sales to the pinnacle of executive leadership, where he has led companies and global teams in some of the world's most vibrant cities. We are talking Hong Kong, London, New York City. This man has been around the block. Now, Saba's life took a transformative turn a few years ago. After a struggle with burnout led him into a journey of exploration and healing. Through that journey, he has deepened and redefined how he approaches life, work, and leadership. Today, we dive into some of the principles that structure how he approaches his work and his life. And our conversation starts with his origin story. And it is a good one. Let's dive in. I tend to get emotional when this comes up because it's been front and center and a really important aspect of my life in the last handful of years, but really my whole life. And it starts with my birth, um, <laughs> as funny as that sounds. But I was born in Iran, in Tehran, Iran, in the early 80s. And that was during the Iran-Iraq war, so in the middle of the war. And my mother due to the stress and uncertainty and the nerves of being in, in, in a war-torn country, could not hold me in any longer. And I was, and she gave birth to me two months early. So that kind of was my entrance into this world. And when I got in, or I came out, I should say, I, <laughs> our doctor told us that I needed a blood transfusion, a life-saving blood transfusion, and the only in order to do it to save my life. And my father had to, for all intents and purposes, say goodbye to my mother and my sister and drive me across town in the middle of the war to get this life-saving blood transfusion. And so parents, my family, they saved my life. I came into this world with not only love and sacrifice and just the just the definition of family, but also into chaos and, and madness and war and death. And it took me many years to recognize the gravity of that. It took me many years to recognize that shaped me. That shaped my childhood growing up. 
It shaped my young adulthood. It shaped my, who I am now as a father, as a husband, as a leader. And it was really rough at first. I, as an immigrant, we had to flee the country because of the war and come here to the U.S. And as an immigrant, I was, I felt displaced. I didn't know, I didn't believe in, I didn't know my culture in Iran. I didn't know my culture here in the U.S. So I felt out of place. And that was how I lived most of my life. It's just this kid who didn't know how to fit in. And and I lived in an urban neighborhood, like gang violence, had to be home when the sun was come, came down. Like there was a lot going on. And that turned into, naturally, for, for some of the psychotherapists out there, it turned into anger and rage. And it it turned into like just being pissed off at the world. Like, why is the world like this? Why am I like this? And then I hid that. I masked that in, as a shy, passive kid who wanted to be nice, boy, teen who wanted to be nice and liked. Um, so it was this like interesting balance of my life growing up. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot. And, and then growing up at home, my parents, it was always survival mode. We're, we're immigrants, so it's when you get the next paycheck, how you get fed, money. And this is all connected, which we'll talk about, but money was the root of majority of our conversations at home. So I grew up with that like feeling of the importance of money and the importance of survival and, and the trauma that came with that, the trauma that, that got carried on in my life and ultimately in my career. And that journey took me into fast forward the last few years into a spiritual journey of understanding who I am and what I believe in and my changing my relationship to money, changing my relationship mm -hmm. to life and people and forgiving my parents for the things that I thought they did wrong and forgiving the world for being unjust and unfair and all these things that I carried on as a kid and as a young adult. And there's so much more, but that's really, that scratches the surface of my journey in life and who I came to be and ultimately where my values stemmed from, my core principles and leadership and in life and, and personal and work and all of that, and which I'll, I'll touch on later on. But yeah, that's the beginning journey. The, hell yeah. Thank you for sharing. There's so much. Yeah, thank you. Resilience. And I can, as I hear your story, I hear this like, deep sense of awareness and uh, real like tenderness with the way that you have turned towards what you've experienced mm -hmm. and trying to understand how these different dots connect. As yeah. you're telling the story, you told it as if the anger and the survival state at home and the crisis of your early childhood and you presenting as this young kid who was shy and people-pleasing, you presented mm -hmm. in the story as if those things were together. I'm really curious, like, when was it that you first started to notice that those things were actually all put together? <laughs> well, the, the part that I left out that I think is so relevant to this question is, behind closed doors, I was seeking. I was searching for meaning and depth. Mm. And as a young kid, young adult, I didn't know what that meant, right? The outside perspective, I was mad at the world, looking at the conflicts in the Middle East, foreign policy was always a conversation at home. and But behind closed doors, I was searching for deep meaning. So I would read poetry, 
especially ancient Persian poets. I would listen to Native American tribal music and read books on metaphysics. So I knew I was seeking for something deeper connection, and as, but as I didn't a understand. It. Yeah, yeah, as a teenager, yeah. And but I didn't understand it. I didn't, I, I didn't understand the depth and beauty. But I knew I was seeking and I was searching for something. And as I got older, I started recognizing that the seeking for approval and being the nice guy was just a mask to cover that anger. And realizing that now, as a man, as a father, as a husband, and what it means to be. A man is to show your emotions and to be angry and to be happy and to be sad. And that to me was this moment of, yeah, of course I can't go back. And I was so young and I didn't understand these things, but I was just afraid of my emotions. And now I, I embrace those emotions, all of them. They're part of me, they're who I am. Um, some of the shadow work I did is my shadows are with me. Those dark sides are with me. I appreciate them now versus pushing them down. We walk alongside each yeah. other. and. Yeah, I think I hope that answered your question. Went on a little bit yeah, of a rant yeah. there. Yeah, well, it's it sounds like the answer is like, when did you start to see the connection? It sounds like a part of you always knew, and we're like seeking meaning, yeah. like un trying to look for a deeper story that could really hold the real depth of your experience. And it was like this unfolding yeah. of like greater yeah. and greater wisdom through the years. And well, yeah, exactly. And and I would say the specific time probably in the last three, four years when I really dedicated my life, call it, to my mental health and spirituality and really digging back. It started with traditional therapy. That therapy peeled back the, some layers. It helped me understand why I thought the way I did, why I do the things that I do. And that transitioned into deep work, like meditation, breath work, yoga. And then that transitioned into plant medicine journeys and really going deep into my psyche and connecting to my spirituality. And that's when it all started connecting. Like, like I get it now. I get like the things that made me successful was the grit, the resilience that I had to endure as a kid and being bullied and, and being born in the war and all of that. And then the compassion and the love and the open and the massive heart, that all came from like that, that the protected side of me, protecting me from that scary world. And when I went through these journeys and worked on myself, I'd recognize like, oh, yeah, of course I, I am who I am. And of course, this journey brought me to exactly where I am right now. So so to really answer that question, it was about three, four years ago when I started doing deep spiritual work. Well, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that it really started with therapy. And yeah. the reason I say that is because I, I think what comes up first, actually, not even all my work with clients or even like friends and how I've seen their journeys go, but I think about my own journey. I was such an angry kid. I was such an angry kid. And at the same time, I had these two disconnected parts of myself. Like my persona mm. was I was class clown. Like uh, I was the I funny, yeah. lighthearted one. Yeah. I didn't care about yeah. anything. Right. But yeah. really, it's that was like a surface that yeah. really deep down, there was this like anger and this like not giving fuckness that really was <laughs> this shell. 
that was protecting this like oh. super sensitive oh. kid that was like so easily hurt and it took me so Damn. long to own that and i even when i first like i when i really went into crisis at 19 and everything converged for me i went to a couple therapists and it's so funny looking back on it because i just lied to them no one forced me to go to these therapists <laughs> i knew right. i needed to see them and i right. went four different ones and i was still just i was telling them a story I was playing, I was manipulating them. And so then these four people, some of them probably knew that. And I, I was just yeah. like, ha, ah, I'm like, I'm paying this person and I'm tricking them into just buying into my persona as opposed to being honest. So I'm yeah. curious, like, for your experience of therapy, what was it like that got you to yeah. even actually seek it out? And did you find yourself being honest from the beginning? <laughs> That's so interesting you say that. I started seeking because I felt so much pressure in my life. This was right around, right before the pandemic, living in New York City. I'm working at a toxic company with a toxic CEO, pressure and fast pace of New York City. And there's also positives of that too. I love New York City, but and all yeah, of don't that scare me. Just be yourself. Stop. You know, so New York City is one of my favorite places on the planet. I miss it very much. Sorry. <laughs> and so it was all of this that was happening, and and then my wife was pregnant, and then the pandemic hit, and I just realized that I am just not healthy. I'm not in a good place. I'm using toxic avenues to heal to hide, run away from whatever it is I'm running away from. And I wasn't sure quite yet. So I felt all of this happening and it came just like crumbling down on me. Then the pandemic hit, lockdowns. We were in a 700 square foot apartment. My son was born, riots, protests, working from home, my wife healing. All of a sudden I'm a father and my aging parents leaving 400 miles away. And it was just like, what the hell is happening? Like, what the fuck's happening right now? And that I was like, I need to do something. And so the first, of course, thought was therapy. And yeah, in the beginning, I definitely... Oh shit, I lied. And you know, my therapist was I'm so grateful for her. She's a... What's the word that I'm looking for? She just did not. I had no shame in calling me out, holding me accountable, through and through New Yorker. And she was like, you're full of shit right now, Saba. Like, you're not expressing yourself. And I was like, okay, I like you. I, I don't. I, and so I definitely hit it. I was like, yeah, everything's good. I'm a little stressed out about work. And then started peeling back. And I was like, oh, I have daddy issues. I have issues with fear of abandonment. And I have issues of wanting to please people and it started all flooding i was like oh my god like it's all making sense these behaviors and these emotions and why i feel this way wow like i looked up to my bosses to my ceos and i wanted them to be i wanted them to accept me and like me because i wanted my father to 
be that type of person. I wanted my father to be a successful entrepreneur executive because that's what I've always wanted in my you know career. So I looked up to these CEOs as father figures, even if they were younger, less experienced, assholes, it didn't matter. And when I started connecting it, I was like, whoa, whoa, this is deeper than I thought. <laughs> so then, then upbringing came up and it's like, I was like, wait, like my parents used to joke about me being a war baby and how we fled and I was a skinny little premature alien and but I never understood the the like the depth and the like severeness of that and then going through this and finally opening up and being more vulnerable and authentic to my therapist I was like shit okay yeah this is I'm in I'm in trouble I need to save my life is I and I'm going to ruin my life I'm going to ruin my marriage I'm a father, like I need to do something. Um, that's what therapy gave me at first. Yeah. Well, it's, it's so hard for us to take that first turn toward big pain we haven't looked at in a while. Yeah. Like to totally to talk to somebody after a long time of not talking about something that we've rationalized to ourselves that we've put on the shelf and we've walked past day after day and been like, yep, yeah. that's fine. It can be on the shelf and I'll be fine. To then yeah. return to it, it can feel like I've built such a pattern of not touching that thing. I don't know yeah. if I want to go there. And I've like convinced yeah. myself it's fine. And there's there'd be so much shame and guilt that come up with that of, oh my God, if I turn towards this and it actually does matter. What does that mean about what I've been doing? For, yes, like, exactly. Like, it's, I have to oh admit to myself that maybe I'm not fine, and then I've got to deal with, and then I've got to yes. do something about it. And I'm already stressed <laughs> about all current things in my life. So how so do I have time to do things about? So I don't want it to. I'm just fine. Let's just not talk about exactly. The exactly. I'll suck it up. It's oh, I'll get over it. And that's what happened. It was like. And even my therapist at one point was like, wait, these things have happened to you in the last decade. Why are you not angry? Why are you not crying? What you have gone through. And I didn't, because I held it in. So like, I just pushed it down deeper and this old, like shitty mentality of suck it up, get over it. You'll be fine. Tough it out type of thing. I was about to burst. I was, I mean, I did burst. I did. And yeah, it was, that's a whole podcast on its own. Yeah. Well, yes. What were the big ways manifested for you that were just like, we might say destroying your world? <sighs> Unhealthy behaviors, using food to, to relax myself as I, as a mode of heat healing so my so i would gain weight and i would eat crappy food because it felt comforting addicted to my phone social media and like shitty content porn you just name it like it was just like whatever spiked my dopamine levels i would do it in an unhealthy way and then crash from it right and then the more and more i did that the more i would invert like i would not talk i would not open up i would not share my feelings so it was like very passive aggressive and and of course like my poor wife i look she's the most amazing human like i would not be here without her and she same thing would call my ass out dude get it together and like we, you need help and you need to work on this stuff so i give her so much thank and and so grateful for her so much thanks and grateful for her and 
yeah, it was like those were the things that were coming out. And again, like lashing out and spending hours and hours at work because I was like, you know what? If I work 12-hour days and, and I grind and I make a lot of money, then you know what? All this is going to go away. Like, oh, I'm going to be a wealthy guy and all these problems are going to go away. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't, clearly, that didn't happen. Yeah, that's and that's the thing that people don't tell us about mending up and buckling down yeah. and pulling ourselves up by yeah. bootstraps and just yeah. ridding yeah. and and going, which is it really is not possible to just suppress all the stuff and keep on a shelf and just focus on getting work done to accumulate the cash. And once we get comfy enough, then we yeah. can process stuff. But really, it's yeah. like we either work it out or it works its own way out. And the yes. way it comes out will wreak havoc. One thousand percent. You're absolutely right. Spot on. Um, yeah. Yeah, man. For me, just lying. I was mm. fucking just straight up yeah. lying. Like yeah. I was just yeah. a bullshit. Yeah. Same. Same. Like my Same. my in my senior year of high school, they just straight. Everyone just knew me as the king of bullshitting, and I wore that shit <laughs> like a badge of honor. I was like, "Fuck yeah, I could manipulate oh, anybody," and I saw something <laughs> wrong with it. But the way I explain it to people is I actually could feel in my body any emotion other than overwhelmed or angry and or 30 seconds of bliss maybe after sex or like yeah. drinking or some drug. But other than that, I like couldn't really feel many emotions. So lying and telling the truth basically felt the same in my body yeah, i was like i might as well just say the bullshit that's going to better serve the character i'm trying to portray but 100%. then like i would feel all this shame that would then turn inward for not expressing my truth which then carries this like implicit belief that my psyche says which is you're either not safe enough to be honest or you don't matter enough to be honest either way yeah. like you should either feel ashamed or you should feel stressed. And then I'd be carrying that. And then what ends up happening, like now I'm like craving more dopamine and oxytocin stuff. So it's like back to the drugs and the porn and the shitty <laughs> behaviors that I feel more shame and stress about. And it's like that downward spiral cycle that oh, we don't man. realize we're actually signing ourselves up for when we choose to turn away from our internal world. Well, well th first of all, thank you for sharing and being vulnerable and you're so spot on. And especially as humans, we need to be more vulnerable. But as men, under talking about these things is like so important because that's not how we were raised for the most part, right? Like even my father, like to, even my father today, he's a 80-year-old Iranian Middle Eastern man, so he's very old school and culturally has his ways. And when my three-and-a-half-year-old son cries, he's like, don't cry boys don't cry and i was like dad first of all he's a toddler <laughs> second of all he's allowed to cry boys are allowed to cry people are allowed to cry and show their emotions and he's like uh, i don't get it but sure fine and so yeah man yeah that's, that's true that is true yeah it's no, that is no small feat yeah it's not but yeah seriously i early in my career i worked in schools 
And yeah. you can watch groups of third grade girls masterfully express their emotions and mm. regulate in conversations with wow. each other better than most adult men. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And women and young girls and people that identify as non-binary, that there are challenges that come with any sort of gender bringing. But the specific one for men is loneliness and yes. lack of emotional regulation skills. And a big yeah. problem is just the like stigma and shame we all carry around, yeah. even just talking about those two things. Yeah, 100%. So true, man. Yeah. So I'm curious with your son, it's interesting. That's really, it's charted right along with your personal growth journey. What is the relationship with parenting and your personal growth journey? Is it like the massive activator to and like <laughs> challenger and inviter to your growth? <laughs> like everyone says. Oh man, look, I have two kids now. I have a three and a half year old boy and a 10 month girl. And that's, I haven't even, I haven't even felt the gravity of having a daughter yet. <laughs> it hasn't hit me yet. <laughs> so that's maybe that's for like episode two, but, but yes, with my son, yes, I, it took me like, yes, when he was born at like the gravity of, okay, I'm a father now. And, but it took me about a year after that, because I, this was right around the time, as I mentioned, like deep work spiritual journeys, therapy, psychedelics. Like I was going in and just like peeling back every single aspect of my psyche and just, you know what, I'm going to put in the work. Let's go into the darkness. And I kept, and so that at around that time, about a year in, it had this, I was like, I'm a father now. This had this mindset of, I'm going to raise my son to be better than me. That was my thing that I kept mm -hmm. saying to him in, the, in his early days when I would put him to sleep. I love you, son. I love you more than I think in this world. I'm going to raise you to be better than me. And I always felt like that was like really powerful. I was like, yeah. And then, but at the same time, if you like, if you dissect that, it, it's implying that I was, everything about me is not great. So like, no, Yes, there's going to be parts of me that I'm going to hope that I raise you to be better. But as a whole, I, I need to recognize that I'm a good man. I have a good heart and I've done good things, etc. And anyways, that was a digression. But the about a year in, I started doing some work around like inner child work and focusing on spending time with little Saba. And when I started meeting little Saba in this deep work and these meditative and hypnosis states, I would recognize this passive kid that needed a hug and needed to felt loved and protected and safe. And I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like I get it. I get what I needed as a child. And my parents gave it to me in so many other ways. Like I, I, I don't blame them for their struggles. They tried to do the best that they could for what they were dealt but they showed me love in a lot of ways. But at the same time, dad had to work two jobs. My mom worked jobs, like, and he, they were going through their own traumas and stuff. So when I started to recognize, I been spending my whole life focusing on external things, external validations, and not looking within, not figuring out who I am, what I believe in, like, what makes me tick, what my values are, like, not looking within. 
And I had this moment of, yes, it's important to understand the world and navigate the world. And I'm going to teach my son that. But first and foremost, I have to teach my son to look within, to learn about himself, learn about who he is, what he believes in, what his truths are. And then everything else will and should fall into place. And that was that moment of, of fatherhood for me. Of oh, Yeah, I get it. I need to continue to do my own work to be this beacon for my son. And a big part of that is showing emotions, regulation. Like today, even now, like we do breath work together. Right? Like when he's having a really tough day, I'm like, come here, son. I'm like, come here, Bubba. I call him Bubba. I'm like, come here. And I'm like, let's take a breath together. And he goes, and we do three breaths together. And he does a little smile with me. And then sometimes he grabs me and he goes, Bubba and Farsi means dad. It's like slang for dad. And he's like, Bubba, you need to take a deep breath. And, I'm, and I get angry. I'm like, you little punk. And, and so we breathe together. So it's, it's the inner work. And, and so, yeah, again, long-winded answer. That's what has defined my work as like how important it is to be the right father for my son and important it is to raise him on and, and the things that matter the most in this world. Yeah. Oh, man. It's a safe thing. I've been lucky to get to talk with and work with thousands of parents to be able to really see like that relationship up close. And in, anytime I really get to just know deeply the ways that any mom or dad are feeling through and thinking through like their parenting, like it feels sacred to me. So just like Name that, and as someone that just shares the world with you and your son, thank you for the effort and integrity that you yeah. put into showing up for him. Because yeah, I appreciate you know, it. It's work, and it's certainly rewarding work. <laughs> it really is. But, it really is. But it's we. I feel like we we should all just be walking around thanking parents more often for those <laughs> I, sacrifices they put in that actually make better humans. I, I agree. I couldn't agree more. And look, I'll say this. Am I perfect? No. This is continuous work. Does he get under my skin? Of course. Do I lash out at times? And yes. And I joke around all the time. Yeah. Uh, you think you're enlightened on the, until you try to put a toddler down for bed at night, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, And then yeah, yeah, like, yeah. All, that sh all that shit goes down the toilet, right? You think you are like wise and a peaceful man until you spend two hours with your aging Middle Eastern parents. So it's, this is continuous work. So I, I don't, I want folks to know whoever will be listening. Is whoever's listening is, I'm not perfect, but I strive for these things and I remind myself that the inner work and, and regulating emotions and being okay to cry as a man, especially for me and, and for my son now, is really important. But yeah, it's hard. Man. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny. I think Ram Dass had that line if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family. I remember, yeah. like, my therapist eventually, I did find a great therapist once I actually was a therapist. And she was a therapist that worked specifically only with other therapists. And so she did a great oh, wow. bullshit detector. So I could not bullshit her, which was great. I know I needed some of that at the time. And I remember talking to her years and years ago uh, when I was in this relationship. And I had been studying meditation and teaching meditation for a while and doing a whole yeah. bunch of my own work. And I, there was this one week where, like, my girlfriend at the time was out of town. And we were living together. And I... It was great. Like I, I was meditating every morning. I was reading and I had the week off of work and I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. I feel really just grounded and expansive this week. But yeah. Cause all the things that can trigger you are gone. You don't. <laughs> 
and it's oh like, yeah <laughs> oh that's amazing it's really not that impressive to me for me to feel this way and like to feel really adaptive and expansive and grounded and like none of the triggering shit is around the thing that's impressive <laughs> to me is am i learning like when the same conditions come along the things that at other times have triggered me into shitty behaviors can i show up there in a way that's like more grounded that is more aligned with who i want to yeah. be that's more expansive that's more empowered whatever can i show up in yeah. those moments it's i do the work so that i can show up in more moments especially more yeah. intense moments as the person i want to be most yeah. wow it's tough and the other thing that you said <laughs> that i wanted to be sure to touch on was Oh, it's it's this like thing I like I'm still reluctant to accept, like emotionally and psychologically, but I like deeply believe this rationally, which is we cannot give people love that is deeper than the love we allow ourselves to hold. Mm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that we don't talk enough about. That like ultimately, we we can feel great love toward people, but when we really are talking about giving people love, it's not just about expressing appreciation or like admiration or hugging mm-hmm. them or buying them things right. or doing things for them. It's about creating trust and intimacy yep. and providing support. And absolutely, if there's someone that we feel love for that we're in a relationship with, whether it's a child or a parent or a partner or a friend, if we carry deep shame about our own worthiness and our own worthiness is really small, then mm. inevitably what ends up happening is we're carrying some toxic patterns and our inability yes. to own our yes. own worthiness ends up with these shadow games where we will end up projecting stuff onto the people that we love. We will we will place Oof. extra responsibility for Oof. the relationship on them. Yes. We carry shadow yes. resentments towards them. We will passive aggressively yes. try to manipulate situations to get attention from them. Yes. Attention that we won't yes. actually allow ourselves to explicitly name that we want and to ask for in a way that is truly respectful. And that's something that like is hard, even even for me after years of really thinking about it and really believing it cognitively, it's hard to accept that is true. <laughs> right. But I believe right. it. Yeah, I believe that is so true. true. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So it's, it becomes it becomes crucial. It's because I love someone, I mm-hmm. must learn to hold greater love within and for myself. Yes. 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 Oh, that's, I can relate so much to that. So much. Yeah. And then the other thing that then becomes hard about that, that I'd be curious about your thoughts with is when we really start doing the work of feeling through all the unprocessed stuff within us, and then really defining what matters most to us and then building more and more of a life that feels like it's grounded and guided by that place. It can get really hard to then go back to just suppressing shit 
which so much of our society invites and implies that we must do while, especially within the workplace. So I'm curious for you, while you've been going through this journey, how has that been for you? Has that been a struggle at all? Have you seen like adders coming up and wanting to just push down and burn yourself at like the candle at both ends and just push and ignore whatever is coming for you? Yeah, no, that's such a great question. I think specifically uh, like the workplace or outside of a trusted or private space, it was really difficult at first, but what worked well for me is really feeling accomplished around the fact that I can be vulnerable and be my true self. I never felt like I was my true self for most of my life. And I was like, you know what? If if I can't be myself and if I can't express in an authentic way, then what's the point? And that shifted with my work and my leadership principles and philosophies of, you know what? There's a real thing and the real thing is being a conscious leader being open and being vulnerable and being empathetic to the people that you serve and the people that you lead. So the transition happened like pretty quickly, to be honest. Like mm. I, I, I guess I was lucky where while I was doing this work, I was at a company that was at a good place. I had a good relationship with my boss, who was the CEO of this company at the time. And I had told him a little bit about this, the work that I was doing and not like fully deep, but he knew. And Lord. The breaking point for me that made gave me all the confidence in the world to say, I this is who I am. I am my authentic self at work, at home, around whoever, was at this company where we were doing our annual sales kickoff. It was like Q1, January sales kickoff. And we had just come off a really rough year, a rough quarter. It was shaky, like some wins, but we were in a competitive market. So it was like, so there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of what are, what's going to happen and you know all these things. Are we going to are we going to are we is product going to meet the demands of the market or do we have the right salespeople? You name it. All these all this uncertainty. Yeah. And I remember yeah. the last day of our sales kickoff, like working with the team that was putting it together. They're like, all right, Simon, we're going to need you to do like the closing statements. And so those few days before the kickoff, the closing statements, I started pouring my heart out on paper. I, I didn't know where I was getting at, but it was just like directionally. I was just like, you know what? Just write everything that's on your mind. And it was at that moment that I was like, yeah, whether this is for me or not, then I'm, I need to share what's on my mind. I need to share with people like the emotions that I'm feeling right now. And I got on the closing. I did the closing closing talk and I cried. And this was in front of people that have never seen me in this kind of state. I cried. I shared people about my feelings, that the the turbulence that we've been having at work, how's that, how it affected my life and my family, and also gave them the reasons why we should move forward and why we need to have resilience. And I remember after that getting texts and slacks and messages and being like, wow, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being so vulnerable and open. Like you inspire me, you inspire us. And this is what we believe in a true leader. And I had this moment of breakdown. Oh, like I'm getting a little emotional now is because 
I was my authentic self and I was always afraid to be my authentic self. And especially as a man to cry in front of fucking strangers or women or whatever is what? Are you kidding me? And that was like a few years ago. And since then. And then to do that and then to get, oh, you're not actually chastising me and insulting me. You're actually supporting and like validating me after all. all I wasn't even trying to get your validation. I was just being. Yeah, exactly. And of course, all the inner critic stuff came out after. It's like, oh my God, what did I just do? Uh, am I being drama? Am I, why am I, why did I do that? This is the work. Like all these feelings of like old Saba, old indoctrinations telling me like that was a terrible idea, even while I was getting the praise and the encouragement. But I was like, I got to fight through this. This is exactly how I should show up for myself and how the world should show up for people should show up for each other. And ever since then, I think I've done a pretty good job of being vulnerable, being myself, and being more of an empathetic, conscious leader in in this world. So, All right, here's a fun question for you. Yeah. Can you be 100% honest and authentic and be elite at sales in the modern world? That is a fun question. Yes, absolutely. Break it down for us. Yes. Let me... I want to share my philosophy of what it means to be a leader and and how that incorporates into sales. And this is going to sound, this is so basic, man. But when you look, when you dissect the core tenets of this and you truly embody this in leadership and in sales, you, it's universal law. You will reap the benefits of it. Communication, like again, basic, but just literally communicate to your team, the people, your prospects. Like, be very clear on what you want to say and how you say it. Full stop. Trustworthy in leadership. You need to be trustworthy. You need to be honest. Your people are going to follow you regardless because you're their leader. So you're either going to lead them to dis- deceit or you're going to lead them to the truth and either way they're going to follow. Same thing with prospects and selling, like being true to how you sell, being true to the problems you're trying to solve. You are dealing with other people. That's why I believe your initial question is, I am a yes to that. And being optimistic. Yes, there's turbulence. Yes, things fall apart. You have a bad quarter or whatever, but knowing that there's always light at the end of the tunnel and, and, and having that belief, and even in sales, like you lose one deal, you got the next one, right? You win a deal, you win the next one, and so forth. It's, it's and same thing. Even if you want to get scientific with pipeline velocity, <laughs> like we'll nerd out if you want, but like with pipeline okay. velocity in sale, with pipeline velocity in sales, like you need to measure how much pipeline you have in each stage, and you have to be optimistic that if I do all the things that I'm supposed to do, communicate, be trustworthy, be optimistic, that these things should fall into place. Self-awareness. Look, as a leader, if you are not continuous, and as a human, but as a leader, if you're not continuously getting better, coaching, getting feedback and all of that, then what's the point of you know growth? Like You're not growing. And then even in sales, being self-aware, like even again, back to like anecdotally, like as a salesperson or as a sales manager, I need to listen to my calls, review my conversations that I'm having and figure out what I need to do better next time and, and, and really take that feedback in. It's daunting. It's a lot, but 
the most successful times I've ever had as a sales individual sales uh, person was when I would dedicate multiple hours a day at the end of the day, listening to my calls, watching my pitches, and then being like, okay, this is what I did well. This is what I didn't do well. And I'm going to make an adjustment, self-awareness, like growth. And it's deeply empathetic leadership. Look, if I truly believe this, and some people are going to roll their eyes, when you treat your people that you lead, the people that you lead and work with like humans, they will perform for you. Look, let's be selfish for a second. I'm a leader. Mm -hmm. I need my team to perform. I treat them like humans. They're going to perform. When you give them the space to fuck up, to be honest and be comfortable to tell you that they fucked up, they are going to move mountains for you. When you mm. give them the space to be themselves and truly understand and know, get to know them as an individual, as a human being, what they do, what their likes, their family, they will move mountains for you. And that is the deep empathy that I'm talking about. And in sales, the same thing. We're selling to other people. Be empathetic. If someone doesn't fucking respond to you in 24 hours, don't blow them up. Don't send them a text like they have their own life or, or whatever it is. Be empathetic to like, what problems you're solving for your prospects and understand that if this decision potentially could make or break them. So don't force a product down their throat because you need to hit your quota, right? And leaders need to know this. CEOs need to know this. Advisors need to know this. Salespeople need to know this. Don't do that shit. That just doesn't work. Well, and then I love, I love yeah. that you're framing that as deep empathy not as a burden that we take on for the sake of a snowflakey no, no world, no. but instead yeah. as a strategic advantage for 100%. elite performance. 100%. Look, I, the other day I had I did this talk and this person, we had a Q&A, and this person asked me, so how do you approach a situation where someone, hey, my... my significant other is sick, I need to take on time off, but they're missing their quota. I'm like, look, I, I'm not saying, oh, I'm so sorry, take the rest of the year off and don't worry about everything. It's right now, your priority is your family first, go take care of them. We will talk about what we need to do for your pipeline, blah, 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 blah. It's not the snowflakey, like we got to give everybody hugs at sunshine and rainbows because they're having a bad fucking day. It's understanding the root cause and then also understanding that we're all humans. But at the end of the day, you're in a work environment, you're a business environment, you're a performance environment, whatever it is, you still need to perform. Like, I, I believe that, but you do it in a way where we have to understand that people are human. So that's the empathy 100%. that I'm talking about. That's well, why, and that's why I say deeply deep empathy. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, that's why I say it's that's why I say deep empathy, not just empathy. Oh, empathy because you're having a bad day, take the rest of the day off type of thing. Like being deeply empathetic, understanding the root problem or the root issue. Sorry to interrupt, please go ahead. Hell yeah. No, please. That's it's like the thing that's always funny to me is like with that question, well, just go ahead and play the opposite of doing that if, if you think that sounds ridiculous. Okay, so salesperson is a really high-level performer, usually, and they're not hitting yeah. their quota because something's going on with their significant other. So what's the alternative? You come to them and you say, hey, I know something's going on with your significant other, but you need to ramp it the fuck up. You need to hit, you need to hit your quota. And then, okay, <laughs> now that person 
trusts and respects you less. And so yeah. even if they do start working hard, they're going to remember that. And you just put a huge burden on that relationship. Oh, you can guarantee 100%. they're are immediately later that day, they're going to start looking for other jobs. And if they're a top-notch performer, they will find one, especially 100%. with sales. And so there's, there's no if, doubt about it. if it's somebody that you actually want on your team and they're then sort of starting to dip, then it's not an effective mover. And then it is not. at some point, they're probably even if you're pressuring them and saying, hey, you better get that those fucking numbers up. At some point, they're going to start dragging anyway, even though they're trying to do it to really make sure that they're pushing. Of course. Whereas the opposite, where it's OK. I'm actually going to ask you what you need. I'm going to show up with real empathy and care. And I'm going to show you that I'm going to put an effort to like support what you need. Yeah, we'll figure exactly. out something within reason. That makes sense. Exactly. Some amount of time for you to just not be working and focus on yeah. what they need. Some amount of some sort of communication struggle, some way that a team can yeah. support you. And then some sort of agreement about when you're going to start scaling back up again. And then when you come back. Yep. You are going to be ready to move mountains because yes. I chose to show up for you in that way. Yes. And now suddenly yes. I'm getting more out of this person who is awesome yes. on the team. So yeah. it's, a, it's an exponential impact on in either direction. Yep. 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 I love it. I love it. And, as, and then one of the last thing is doing hard things. You got to put in the work. It's shit is hard as a leader. You got to do the hard things. You got bad quarters, bad months. You got to, there's challenges, competitive landscape, so on and so forth. And then in sales, like you're going to miss deals, you're going to miss quarters, and you just got to get through it. And you're going to have tough calls and tough negotiations and all that. You just do hard things. And I call this conscious leadership. All right. So we've got conscious leadership, which must include doing hard things. Yep. Deep empathy. Yep. Building trust, communication, expressing yep. truthfully. Yep. Self-awareness. Yep. Yep. Hell yeah. All right, so now here's a question for you. It's a two-parter. First part is, if you were to think about just within sales, what you've yep. seen throughout your career, from your experience as well as other people's experiences that you've interacted with, if you were to think about leadership and manager development both mm. onboarding and ongoing and you were to give it a grade the state of today's manager and leadership development in sales is it an a b c d or f it's a d i'd give it a, maybe a d plus a d plus right, that's the first part of the question so here comes the second part yeah. And I'll preface it by saying, in the last year, I've asked that question to hundreds of sales leaders. And only twice out of hundreds of conversations has somebody told me a B or an A. <laughs> so yeah. usually it, it's scattered, but the average answer is a D. Yep. We've got a lot of C's, a lot of D's, a lot of F's. Yep. Why is that? I believe the reason why sales leaders, managers have such shitty onboarding and career development is because we are focused on companies 
and their leaders and their bosses are focused on the performers, the salespeople, and then they're focused on the overall strategy of the business. And they just assume that, oh, Saba, who has 20 years of sales experience and 10 years of leadership as a VP or whatever, he's going to come in and know exactly what to do and know exactly how to manage and this and that. And we don't, he doesn't need development or, you know, skills to be, to level up and things like that. That I believe is the reason, like, because they're hiring for this role versus hiring for someone who has all these things, but know that there might be areas that they need to improve on. That's also the other part is we do not, we do not tactfully hire sales leaders and understand their true weaknesses and strengths and say, you know what, this guy's strengths or this guy and gal's guy or gal's strengths outweigh their weaknesses, and I'm going to do everything in my power as their leader and as a as someone who makes sure wants to make sure I bring in good people who are going to stay to work on their weaknesses from day one. So Saba, these three things are the areas I need to work on. I want to put you in this training. We're going to hire you this, and we just need you to be that powerhouse that we know for these other ten things. Go right. We don't do that. And that's the problem until it's too late. And I'm not, I can't speak for all companies and all sales leaders and all experiences, but in my 20 years and then my peers and colleagues, I have yet to find a situation where a sales leader comes in and doesn't have to essentially figure everything out on their own and be expected to be the savior, be expected to be the person that's going to turn the business around, all of a sudden increase revenue and show upward mobility, do it, this and that. Man, I can go on for days. This is a big topic, but those are the yeah. big things. Yeah, big ones I'm hearing are uh, an overemphasis on focusing on the direct delivery from performers in the churches yep. and a high level strategic goal setting and alignment from the top down without enough emphasis on the processes and skills for getting people in the trenches to execute on thy low vision. Yep, exactly. Exactly. And then, and then that piece, along with a, a failure to value or a failure to understand the value of certain skills when promoting and hiring managers. Yes. And that a key piece that needs to happen is you need to hire managers that can really understand the strengths of the people that they will also be hiring or that they will be managing so that we can do a better job of harnessing people's strengths, developing people's weaknesses. And a key part of that is just starting to actually understand the value of just doing that. Yes. Yes, exactly. And other than nurses and public school teachers, out of all occupational groups, people in sales have the highest stress rates, the highest stress levels. That's and right. that's from Gallup through years. And yeah, a lot of people of like dismiss that and they're like, well, yeah, because sales is super stressful. And it is. You have to face a ton of rejection and potential rejection. It's basically the yep. job description is people you're going to try to give people stuff and sell stuff to people that most of them don't want. Most of the conversations you're going to have, 
people aren't coming into you saying, oh my gosh, I really want the thing that you have. That, and so there's inherent rejection that's built into it. Rejection and yeah. resistance. So it's exactly. going to be stressful. And yet, I refuse to believe that there are not ways that we can structure workplaces for sellers and management systems for sellers that would radically transform how stressful the job is no, and what the well-being of salespeople are. Yeah, it's ludicrous to think otherwise. <laughs> so, and then you have to also add that the unnecessary pressure from the top down. Why? So as a salesperson, you like if you think about this, right, and I've been in those shoes on both sides, obviously, is as a salesperson, my manager is drilling me on my pipeline and my metrics and these outdated KPIs that says, oh, you're not performing or whatever it is because, and they're like, oh, hit your numbers, do this, make your calls, whatever. And then his, this person's boss is doing the same thing. And then the CEO is doing the same thing. And then the board and the advisors are doing the same thing. So it's this toxic behavior that just trickles down and nobody takes a step back to think, wait a second, this doesn't work. Yeah, I actually have, this is such a funny story. Like I actually had a call with my old CEO this morning just to catch up. I didn't talk to him in about, I don't know, I guess a year. And this is the first time where he called me and his name and screen popped up. And I had this visceral reaction when I saw his <laughs> face on the phone. And I immediately was like, and then I laughed and I answered the phone. I was like, hey, man. I, for a second there, I was like, oh shit, what deals do I need to talk about? And he started dying of laughter and he was like, and he was like, for a second there, I was going to tell you what deals do we need to close? And I'm like, so back to this moment that I just shared, this is, I don't want to, I don't want to downgrade this, but this is like generational trauma, right? Like it's in a corporate setting, in a hierarchical setting and you also have to take that into consideration of why a salesperson's job is so, so stressful. And then we're not appreciated enough. Like you have a great quarter and then you start from zero the next quarter and God forbid the markets shift or your product doesn't level up or there's new competitors or life happens. And now it's, oh, well, it doesn't matter what he did last quarter. It's the current quarter. It's just, it's broken in, in many ways. I was talking to I was talking to a VP of sales earlier today, and he said two things that I think are relevant to what we're talking about right now. One, he said, I realized at a certain point in my career, if I'm inspecting what my people are doing and I'm just adding pressure, what I'm not doing is actually adding value. Oof. I can't inspect and add pressure without also adding support. 100%. That is so smart. I have to be bringing support in. I'm either inspecting and doing nothing. I'm inspecting and I'm adding support. Or I'm inspecting and I'm adding pressure and support. But if I'm ever just inspecting and adding pressure, I'm usually breaking something. <laughs> that's spot on. That's and I was on. like, wow, that's awesome. The other thing that he said that is coming up is, he said, what's really sucked in a lot of my jobs is, when things are going really well, everyone in the company credits product and market. And when things aren't going well, everyone blames us. <laughs> oh, it's unfortunately very true in lots of circumstances. <laughs> That's right there, man. It sucks. Yeah. That sucks. 
So if you could wave a magic wand and suddenly sales was an industry filled with frontline and frontline managers and C-suite executives and everywhere in between people who were conscious leaders, what do you think would be different about the way that work within sales, especially? Yeah, I would say the we would probably steer away from these inflated expectations, inflated numbers from the CEOs, from the leaders, from the board, and just getting back to being realistic. Look, I'm not saying, I'm not saying we don't have to hit our, we shouldn't be hitting our numbers and we shouldn't be growing a certain amount month or month, whatever these important metrics are. I get it. But what I'm saying is be realistic and, and understand that there are other mechanisms to hitting these numbers or not hitting these numbers. And I believe if there's a world where we have more conscious leaders and, and more understanding of, of like human beings, then we would probably have these less inflated numbers and these ridiculous expectations uh, overall. Uh, yeah. So more realistic goals and grounded expectations. Yeah. And then healthier environments like attrition, you have... The longer you have a salesperson on your team that is thriving, succeeding, bringing revenue into the business, the better it is for it as a sales worker. I know that sounds obvious, but they have established pipelines. They know the product. They know how to work cross-collaborate. They know the customer. You want to keep salespeople on as long as possible. And as long as they're happy and making money and that's their career goals, great. But the moment you start shaking up your sales org, it takes so long to hire, ramp them up, build pipeline, and then do it all over again. It's it's just it's almost impossible to keep a high functioning sales organization longer than a year. And I know a lot of companies do it, so don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it goes back to that. Treat your salespeople fairly, respect with respect, and they're not just a number and be realistic with expectations, but also hold them accountable, it will do it all. Amen. And then the piece that comes up for me is, I wonder what AI's role is in shifting leaders within sales into more conscious leadership. And I'm curious what comes up for you. Yeah. I think about it some are going to roll their eyes at this and that's okay but i what excites me about ai especially in sales but overall in in this world it's innovation and transformation the pace at which ai is evolving that excites me immensely that's number one and you're seeing groundbreaking developments in so many industries and then in sales there's this talk and it's been happening for a while and that's why you see so many sales tools and marketing products it's get the administration work out of the salespeople's hands out of their day-to-day and let them focus on their core capabilities and responsibilities and that's building pipeline and closing deals ai is going to do ai will do that ai should and will automate 90 95 percent of that if not more and you just focus on what ai can't do and i I so truly believe that is be a human and, and close a deal for you for especially strategic deals and bigger accounts maybe transactional you can create bots to close them transactional deals i can see that but for true 
mid-market enterprise deals, like it won't do, it won't replace that. Then there's personalization at scale. I, this is the part where I think people will roll their eyes. I think AI will help with analyzing masses of massive amount, massive amounts of data, delivering ex personalized experiences for prospects, especially in sales and marketing. Um, and just think of tools that are AI that are training your that are training under your ICP and your and, and the market you're going after. AI is going to literally build your personas for you and also be able to tell you these ICPs are these are the things that they want to focus on and you can get deeper and deeper and obviously this and so the more we can personalize at scale and do it thoughtfully, not the, oh, I noticed you went to Michigan University. Let's talk deeper right. than that personalization. What else? Enhancing. Even just those are epic ones. Like I think anyone listening to this, and I know you and I certainly have gotten messages from salespeople that you are so irritated that they sent you where <laughs> you're just like really annoyed just to see it. Like yeah. and the, the thing I notice within me are like two things. One, it feels like you're not actually interacting with me human to human. You're like yeah. putting me in this role of in the like transactional role because it it feels inauthentic. When you send somebody yeah. an inauthentic cold outreach message, yeah. like you automatically not only am I like less interested in reading it or in engaging with you just because oh it's a cold message that wasn't like exciting or interesting or novel enough, but also if it doesn't make me feel like a human connecting with me as a human, then suddenly I feel like you're already trying to push me into this transaction yes. and yep. I feel resistant to it. And so yes. there's that piece. Absolutely. So with greater personalization, one can cut away some of the just shitty outreach messages that automatically do that. Yep. And two, we could actually do a better job at targeting so that we're actually reading out to people and having conversations with people that actually really could get value as opposed yep. to just like machine gunning and like causing this like problem of people being yep. irritated about talking to salespeople because Absolutely. the approach is just talk to everybody. Like the, the better we can do it, precise targeting and then yep. personal messaging, yes. then the more open a potential customer is going to be to buying anything. And that is huge. It's better for everybody, it's better for the customer. It's obviously better for the salesperson. It's better for whatever the hell they're selling. Yep. Yep, exactly. And then the last part is like enablement and training and really getting deep into understanding performance, understanding why someone is underperforming, why someone is performing, replicating that. Like AI can do, we'll, we'll be able to help with that tremendously. So that's the last thing I'll say to that question. Oh, yeah. So we've got training and development. We've got personalization, particularly of customer bases and personas. Yep. And we've got automation of the monotonous tasks. Yes. And there's something that comes with that automation, which is as we have more like AI SDRs, and maybe that's the soonest thing of like we, the soonest like robot-y thing, of like, that's the role of the AGI. There will never have to be BDRs again because they'll all just be artificial oh, general yeah. intelligent bdrs That's whether amazing. it's that or it's like any sort of ai that supercharges your processes through something like lavender or any yeah. sort of automation that you're utilizing any yeah. machine learning or ai 
as that gets rid of the like monotonous tasks that every salesperson can do, that every SDR, BDR, AE, anybody in a hands-on role selling can do, what that starts to mean is the more valuable skills that are harder to acquire mm. become the ones that really matter. And so yep. as opposed to having a numbers game being your key yep. success, oh, we yep. just have to get a certain number of salespeople. It starts to be a quality game where we need to train and we need to keep, we need to hire certain high-skilled salespeople, which means you're going to need managers that are skilled enough to keep those people and you need yep. some sort of leadership system that is ideally promoting people in-house and keeping yep. people yep. that are skilled enough. Otherwise, it's going to get expensive. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Mm. That's a course right there. Charge $100 right there. $100 course right there. 100%. Or just, or you just reach out to, you reach out to me, email me and matter more. And we'll talk about the product we're building at buddy. I <laughs> shameless plug. Got it. All right. I love it. All right. So if someone was getting into sales right now, let's say they dress dropped out of college. They are okay. 19 years old. They are hungry and they are like, I, people are telling me to get into sales. They said I should get into software engineering, but I hate computers. I just don't want to become an engineer. I want to sell stuff. And I'm interested in, in, in selling tech or I'd sell cars or I'd sell anything that's going to make me money that I don't have to feel like a piece of shit. What advice would you give them? <laughs> See, this is going back to our, our early conversation of indoctrination, where I want to say, just go somewhere and just be a salesperson and learn the hard way. <laughs> and it doesn't necessarily work that way. I was a college dropout and I went into car sales and I worked 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday and learned the foundations of what I thought it meant to be a salesperson. Anyways, so I'm not going to suggest that, though it might work for some. What I would tell this nineteen, yeah, I would. What I would tell this nineteen-year-old person is, forget about what anybody tells you about what it means to be successful in sales, like being a fast talker, being charming, lying your way through it, or deceiving. What you should focus on is understanding human psychology, why people think the way they do, and why. The, the evolution of people and as as like wild as that sounds i think that's a very important aspect and then the two other things i would think about tell them is learn two things of the two most important core aspects of sales it's the art of the sale and the science of the sale the science of the sale is very much a data-driven approach i need to have this many deals to close, this many opportunities and so forth. So understanding the mechanics of sales. So read a book, take a course or whatever. And then the art of the sale falls into my first thing is like psychology, but more on the sales part, why people buy and how they buy. So human behaviors when it comes to buying, learn those two components and get historical with the human evolution. Package that up as as, as a hungry, ambitious person who can now take this core tenant and be able to plug and play to almost any industry and and do that and then get very familiar with ai get familiar get a 20 dollars a month if you can or use the free version but if you have a little bit of money get a 20 dollars a month chat gbt account 
and build and learn and understand what it, it like what it can do for you so those are probably like the the hot takes that i would put um right now for someone Help. yeah all right so get get hands to work somewhere so start try sell something somewhere start getting psychological and relational to understand people and start getting tactical as far as digesting and trying to consume information and learn about the tactics of sales and yep. technological as far as at least just exploring and experimenting with AI so that yep. you can start to be familiar. Yep. Epic. All right, yep. Saba. Last question. Great. A, real a real joy this has been, man. A this has been joy. amazing. Thank you. Thank you for this space. This has been awesome. Yeah, so so fun. Last question. If you could say one thing to every single person on the planet right now and know that they would truly hear you, what would you say? Oh, man. We need to embrace the principles of universal love and oneness. We are all interconnected and we're part of a larger whole. And the sooner we realize that we're all connected, we're all humans, and love drives everything, the better we can get along as a society, as a world, as businesses, whatever, like insert, whatever. If you asked me a meta question, so I had to do a meta, give you a meta answer. That I believe that has driven me for the last few years in order to love myself. I need to love myself first to love others. Um, and that has helped me in my relationships and has helped me at work and sales, all of the above. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And we invite you to bring something to this call that matters to you. So I'm curious what you brought. I brought a black or smoky quartz crystal. Sick. This is something that I hold on to often, that either it's during hard times, challenges, plant medicine journeys, it, it helps with grounding. It helps remind me that I have this hard piece of stone that is going to protect me. And yeah, I have it here with me now. And it sits on my desk uh, most days and travels with me. Goes to my in my backpack or suitcase all the time. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Well, Saba, thank you for being here. Everybody, thank you for tuning in. And take care. We'll check you next time. Thank you so much, man. This was awesome.